you would remain standing, please, in honor of God's inspired, inerrant, infallible word, I would ask you to turn to 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. You may be seated. This morning as we come to the Lord in prayer, we want to especially remember Operation Christmas Child and those who uh, so faithfully serve in that ministry. So join with me as we pray. Lord, we're so grateful that you and you alone have enabled us to have eternal life in your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ that you and you alone are able to cover our sin with the blood of the Lord who gave himself for us, who literally became sin for us, that we might know the very righteousness of God. Lord, we thank you that we can not only expect that you would grant to us life eternal, but that you invited us to come boldly before your throne, that you invited us, Lord, to depend wholly and completely upon you, and to trust you wholly and completely to meet our every need in this life, even the, the pain and the sorrow that uh, we experience, Lord, that you give us praise and you give us blessing because, Lord, you are the sustainer of our lives, that you are the one who enables us, Lord, to take our next breath. And so, Lord, you've called us to be your people that trust you wholly. You've called us, Lord, to worship you in spirit and in truth. So, Lord, today we ask 
that by your spirit that we might indeed worship you today with pure hearts, that you would cause us, Lord, to examine our hearts, to see if there be any wicked way in us, and Lord, that you and you alone would purify us For you have told us, Lord, that if we confess our sins, that you are faithful and that you are just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, Lord, we pray that you would now bless our worship, that you would enlighten us with the power of your word and the glory of the gospel as we hear it. And that, Lord, as we hear your word today, that we might be confident and assured that we rest in the hollow of your hand and that the salvations you grant to us so freely when we come to you in confession and belief that no person and no thing in this world can ever snatch us out of your hand. So, Lord, we thank you for that. And we pray now this morning especially for those around the world that suffer even today, those who know you, Lord, in our suffering, those that don't know you, may they turn to you. We think of the tragedy in in, uh, South Korea, Lord. We think of war in Ukraine. So many other places in this world, Lord, where people suffer greatly. May hearts turn to you. May faithful people, Lord, proclaim your gospel with even greater power. And Lord, we thank you for ministries. We thank you especially for Operation Christmas Child. And pray your blessing on this ministry and those in this church, Lord, who have given of their time and resources, even to do simple things like pack boxes that children might hear the gospel around the world. We commit that ministry and those people to you for your purpose and your glory. And so now, Lord, as we come before you, we pray that uh, we might indeed comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of your love, that we might know it, that we might know Christ that passes all knowledge, and, Lord, that we might be filled with all the fullness of God. So, Lord, we give you the glory, both now and through all generations, Lord, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. around the throne Even the rocks 
1654, Puritan Thomas Brooks wrote, Assurance is the believer's ark where he sits, Noah-like, 
quiet and still in the midst of all distractions and destructions, commotions, and confusions. However, he said, most Christians live between fears and hopes and hang, as it were, between heaven and hell. Brooks said, sometimes they hope that their state is good. At other times, they fear that their state is bad. They hope that all is well. Then they fear that they shall perish by the hand of such corruption and by the prevalency of such or such a temptation. They are like a ship in a storm tossed here and there. Sinclair Ferguson said, lurking beneath the stresses and anxieties of modern life are the age-old questions, am I good enough? And have I done enough? They haunt some, they drive others, And they exhaust many into indifference or despair. There is a life-transforming solution in the gospel. It is a short answer with an eternally long message. And even so, many Christians are confused by what they see in their hearts, what they experience in their lives, They find life hard, and they go through ebbs and flows, and they feel that Romans 7 quandary that every true believer lives in. Like Paul said, I want to do the right thing. I, I delight in the word of God, but sin is waging war in my soul, and I'm captive and like Paul crying out in Romans 7, 24, wretched man that I am, people will think I am I'm so wretched. Who's going to deliver me? And many miss the truth two verses later in Romans 8, verse 1, that says there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And you might begin to ask questions. How do I know if I'm really a Christian? How do I know if I'm born again? How do I know if I've been regenerated by the Spirit of God? Any of you may doubt if you're even saved at times. And then you have the flip side, which is people who live with false assurance and think they're saved, but they're not. Many get deceived when doubt or pride creep in. And so because of this, and I know this is where many people are, I want to take some time today to help you see the basis and the hope of assurance of salvation. As we focus on 1 John chapter 5, verses 11 and 12, and my prayer is that you will receive great comfort from the scriptures. I'm praying that God would open the hearts of unbelievers to the truth praying that God would empower 
believers to live the truth, believe it. So what I'm hoping today is that this will help you and it will help you help others so that you or others won't be fearful or have false assurance. So last Sunday, I preached on the nature and beauty of forgiveness. And we were in 1 John chapter, five, verse, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 to 10. And I hope it was sweet comfort uh, for every believer who heard it, uh, that Jesus freely forgives repentant sinners. Well, what amazing grace that God bestows upon us and that God wants fellowship, a saving relationship with his people, and he, he brings you into the relationship, and then he turns your heart to the truth. And whoever's in a saving relationship with God in Christ, they confess that they're sinful, they confess that they sin, and they, they, they want to live a life pleasing to God, and have a tender heart, and live in the power of the Holy Spirit. And as simple as that is to say, uh, life is very complicated, and there's a lot of moving parts, and sometimes it's really easy for us to get confused about what the Christian life is really about. And I think we start to wonder about God and ourselves, and 1 John is a great place to land with that because 1 John gives tests of true salvation. Like, here's how you know if you truly have eternal life. In fact, the whole letter is how do you know if you really have eternal life? John's gospel was written so that you would believe in Jesus and have eternal life. In John chapter 20, verse 31, it says, these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you would have life in his name. So the gospel of John was written so that you would believe and have eternal life, but first John, this, this, this short letter, in fact, I was able to listen to it in its entirety as I drove to church this morning. In less than 10 minutes, you could listen to it in its entirety. First John's a really short letter, but it, what, it, what it's for is that you would know, if you're a Christian, that you would know that you have eternal life. Not that you would believe and have it, but that you would know you have it. That's the purpose of First John. We, that not that we would have eternal life, but that we would know that we have eternal life. And chapter 5, verse 13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's the whole point of the letter. One person put it this way, assurance is an inextricable part of saving faith. Like you need to know the truth and believe it and be saved, but you also need to know that you're saved. That's, that's linked in a way that can't be separated and should not be separated. And so to understand it, we need to explain it biblically, not culturally, not emotionally, but just use objective, unchanging truth. What does the Bible say about it? And, and what these verses say, these two verses is, if you have Jesus, you have eternal life. If you have Jesus, you have eternal life. But the question comes, how, but how do I know if I have Jesus? Whenever I've had the privilege of, of showing someone the gospel and, and proclaiming it to them and, and they come to faith in Christ, I will quickly go to 1 John 5, 11 and 12. Because, hey, you're, you're going to probably doubt if you're truly saved. And so the testimony is this, that God has given us eternal life. God has given believers eternal life. And this life is in his son. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have the life. If you have Jesus, you have the life. 
But how do you know? Well, these two verses open it up for us. Verse 11 gives us a statement of fact. Verse 12 gives us proof of life. Statement of fact, verse 11, proof of life, verse 12. It's telling us that something internal, hap- internal happened and it shows externally. There's an inward change in your heart when you come to faith in Christ and it, and it shows itself forth in your life. So the statement of fact is this, in verse 11, this is the first thing you see, the, the statement of fact, and it begins and, the verse begins and, so you have to say, well, and what? Look at the verse before it, look at verse 10. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself, whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And, and here's the fact. So, the previous verse tells how serious the matter is. This is very serious that you receive God's testimony, and here's the testimony. Here's God's witness regarding eternal life. Here's what God's witness is, the testimony. The Greek word is marturia. It means witness, given evidence, given proof. And, and who's giving the proof? God is. The triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All attest to this. Testify to it. Jewish law allowed a threefold testimony in Deuteronomy and onward, and you see it in the, in the New Testament. And, and here, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are testifying to this, a solemn declaration of truth, of the facts. It's an affirmation that will establish and prove a fact. And here is the content. Here is the testimony. God has given. God has given. Now, this is a gift based on the decision of the giver, not the receiver. A decision based on the giver, not the receiver. God has given. God has given us. This is believers. This is written to believers. This is not universalism. This is not everyone in the whole world gets this. God has given us, believers, eternal life. Eternal life. It's God's gift. Not something you gain through your good works. It's not something you gain through your efforts. It does not require some secret knowledge as the Gnostic heretics would, would, would have had you believe or there's some special recipe you need to figure out. Eternal life could be said this way. It is uh, the new redeemed existence in Jesus Christ that is granted by God as a gift to all believers. It is a, a quality of life. It is a character of life that demonstrates your new existence in Christ and, and it has an unending character to it. It's, it's unending. And you'll notice he doesn't say he will give it in the future. He says God has given it in the past to us, to Christians. And we now have it. And in glory you'll have it fully, but you've got it now. And, and like any gift, you, you must know about it and God is testifying about it. And you must receive it, just as John 1 says, to as many as received him, to them he gave right to become children of God. If, If you must earn it, it's not a gift. And God's essential message to mankind is eternal life is a gift from God received in Jesus Christ. And the Greek here is emphatic. It's eternal life God has given to us. Eternal life God has given to us. John Stott gave three important truths in these verses about eternal life. He said, first, it's not a prize you earned. 
It's not a prize you could earn. You're not, you know, you're not going to the carnival and winning a prize for playing a game. It's not a prize you could earn, but it's an undeserved gift. Secondly, it's found in Christ. So to give us that life, God gave us his son. And third, he said, this gift of life is a present possession. You have it now. It's eternal. That means it's existed at all times. It's perpetual. There's an unlimited duration. It keeps going. Uh, It's without end. It never ceases. It's everlasting. This life. Zoe in the Greek, in Scripture, it's used of physical life, but more often it's used of supernatural life that God gives. Supernatural life in contrast to life that is subject to eternal death. This is the life that alone belongs to God, the giver of life. It's available to his children now. It's been given to his children already. If you're a Christian, you have eternal life. It's absolute fullness of life, you could say. It's, it's essential life. It's real life. It's, it's true life. And it, it alone belongs to God, the giver of life, who then gives life to his own, whom he brings to life. Eternal life. It's, it's the life of the Lord Jesus himself. It's a multifaceted life. It's a beautiful life. It's, it's a life that tells you that now you can enjoy the things of God. We're singing, we're praying, we're hearing the word and things that you used to be indifferent to or maybe even despise. Now you love, you want to do those things because you have eternal life. Eternal life is the believer's participation in the everlasting life of Christ through our union with him. What's the single most important day or moment of your life? People will say, well, my wedding day or the birth of our children. The single most important event in a Christian's life is the new birth. The new birth. Many Christians don't know how to describe it, the They don't know what it means to the rest of their life with God. Like, what happens when you're born again? Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born again. You must be born of the Spirit. You must be born of God. You must be born by something God does, not that you didn't do. What happens when you're born again? Does everything just change immediately in instant sanctification? Is it like a spiritual reboot? Like, hey, I've been wandering a lot, and so I'm going to get a little fresh start here and get born again again. What happens when you fail the first time? You're not born again anymore? Were you not born again to begin with? All these kind of questions. Eternal life was promised by God in the Old Testament. One example, Psalm 133, verse 3, the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. Eternal life was sought by the Jews of Jesus' day. Someone came to Jesus, they said, What should I do to inherit eternal life? I I want eternal life. What should I do? And it comes only to those who believe God's testimony and place their faith in his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said in John 5, 39, "To, to those that were rejecting him, you search the scriptures because you believe that in them you have eternal life, but it is the scriptures that bear witness of me, pointing to me all the way through. 
So John says in verse 11, this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. It is in God the Son. It is in his son. And you can compare that phrase with the, the phrase that Paul likes to use, in Christ. The only way to obtain this life is by believing in Jesus Christ, by believing in the Son. Jesus is eternal life. The eternal life that was with the Father from the beginning, 1 John 1, 12, 1 2. Eternal life. And, and this phrase eternal life happens, you see it about 41 times in the New Testament. Uh, most often in John's writings, like 20 some times, 21, 23 times. Most, most commonly recognized in John 3.16. Everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. John 3.36, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. This is Jesus testifying of himself. Jesus declared, just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. John 5.21. He said in John 5.24, anyone who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. But he said to some of his opponents, you refuse to come to me to have life. If you're not a believer today and you're not, you don't have Christ in your life, and you hear about Jesus, and you hear that he died on the cross in your place for your sins, he substituted himself in your place because of the great love with which God has loved us, and he died and was buried, and on the third day rose again, and when you believe this, and you, you, if you put your trust in Jesus, he will forgive you, he will save you, he will give you eternal life, and Jesus says, you refuse to, to come to me to have life, and once you hear about the life in Christ, and you say, I'm good, I don't need it. I don't, I, don't need to, I don't need to believe that. You're refusing to come to Christ who is the way, the truth, and the life. When Jesus fed the 5,000, Jesus declared himself to be the bread of life. The bread of life. He said, for my Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in him shall have eternal life. And I will raise him up on the last day. There's your assurance. Speaking of his sheep, Jesus promises, I give them eternal life, John 10, 28, and they will never perish. And no one, and some people, by the way, some people will say, I used to be a Christian, now I'm not anymore. That, that's just not possible. You're either a Christian forever or you're not. You either become a Christian and you're a Christian eternally once you become a Christian or, or you're not a Christian. You can't say I was a Christian before and I'm not anymore. It's just not possible. It's not a thing. It's a thing people made up, but it's not a thing. You know when people make things up that aren't things? And they tell you that it's a real thing, but it's not a real thing? And then everyone starts believing that it's a real thing, but it's not a real thing? You need to believe real things. Speaking of his sheep, Jesus promises, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. And no one can snatch them out of my hand. Not even you. You can't snatch yourself out of Jesus' hand. If you've been given eternal life by Jesus... And, and, who, and who that has it would not want it. No one can snatch them out of my hand. His kung fu grip is stronger than yours. In the face of death, Lazarus has been dead in the tomb for, for four days, and Jesus declares to Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. 
And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. We just had a service for Colleen Songer, our beloved Colleen Songer, who was a member of the church for many years, and, and she, she went home to Jesus on October 1st, and we were remembering the gospel yesterday, remembering her, her life in Christ, and we, we, I don't know how many times you know, I've said these words at, at a funeral, at a memorial service. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And you know what Jesus asked right after he said that? Do you believe this? Do you believe it? Do you have this life? Do you have this life? It's the dominant theme that's running through John's gospel and through these letters and through the entire Bible and the golden string of golden chain of redemption of God saving fallen mankind from themselves and their own sin and the wrath that will come upon them unless and until they believe in the Lord Jesus. And Jesus is said to give this eternal life. It's a gift from God that comes only through Jesus Christ our Lord in contrast to the death that is the natural result of sin. The gift of eternal life comes to those who believe in Jesus Christ, who is the resurrection and the life. And this life is eternal. This life is perpetual. This life is unending. This goes on and on. The beauty of eternal life. You, and, and here's what you need to know. If you're a Christian, you have eternal life now. You're not experiencing it fully like you will in glory one day, but you have eternal life now. You don't have to wait for it. And if you go try to buy a refrigerator today or a couch, you might be wake, waiting weeks or months, especially if you want a custom one. You gotta you know, craft it for you, you gotta wait. It's tough for us to wait. The waiting is the hardest part for us, right? This should be a really good thing for, for, for those of us that like, you know, if the drive-thru is too slow, we're upset. You know, if they don't get us our food in 35 seconds, they have to give it to us for free because we are so impatient. You don't have to wait to enjoy eternal life, believer. It's not something that starts when you die. It starts when you exercise faith in Christ. It is a current possession. You have it. And eternal life is linked with Jesus Christ. This is what Jesus prayed in John 17, this intimate moment when God the Son is praying to God the Father, and he says, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And Jesus is equated eternal life with the knowledge of God and his Son. There's no knowledge of God without the Son. It is through the Son that the Father reveals himself to the elect. This life-giving knowledge of the Father and the Son is a real knowledge. It is a true knowledge. It is a personal knowledge. You know. You know. There are some on Judgment Day who claim to be followers of Christ but never really had him. And to those, Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, away from me, you evildoers. Jesus said he would say that. I'm not making this up. Jesus said it. Because in Eden, we rebelled against God. We're banished from the tree of life. We did it. We rebelled. 
And God will graciously restore our access to that tree of life, the access provided through Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. In the New Jerusalem, there will be a river flowing from the throne of God and from the Lamb. And on each side of the river, there's the tree of life, and the leaves are, it says, for the healing of the nations. The gospel can heal your heart. The gospel can heal your soul. Because every, every sinner now, right now, right now, whoever hears these words, right now, right this very moment, right now, every sinner is invited to know Jesus Christ and receive eternal life. Even in Revelation twenty two seventeen, it says, let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wishes to take the free gift of the water of life. Do you have eternal life? You know. It's written so that you would know. If you have eternal life, you confess your sin to God. You accept your provision, his provision of a savior on your behalf. Romans 10, 13 says, all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. You call out independence. You call out, cry out in your need. Not for a quick fix, but for an eternal salvation. Knowing that Jesus Christ, God the Son, died for your sins. He rose on the third day. Believe that good news, friends. Believe it. Trust the Lord Jesus as your Savior. You will be saved. The testimony, God has declared it true. These are the facts that God has already done it, irrevocably accomplished, given us, personally, every believer, every believer. You're not left out, believer. You who think you're a shadow on a back wall, you're not left out of this if you're a believer. You that feel like you're invisible, you're not left out. He has given us eternal life. He's bestowed eternal life on his children. We should be calling John the apostle of eternal life. He just wrote about life all the time. And he said this life is in his son. Jesus not only gives the life, he is the life. He's the source of life. He's the creator of life. He's the sustainer of life. And and here's the paradox. He died to conquer death. And because he lives, we will live also. Samuel Rutherford once said, our hope is not hung upon such an untwisted thread as I imagine so, or it is likely. I've asked a lot of people if they, if they know what's gonna happen when they die, if they know they're gonna be with God forever in heaven when they die. and I've received the answer a lot of times, I hope so, which is a great alley-oop to share the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. But Samuel Rutherford said, our hope is not hung upon such an untwisted thread as I imagine so or it is likely. He said, but on the cable, on the strong toe of our fastened anchor is the oath and promise of him who is eternal truth. Our salvation is fastened with God's own hand and with Christ's own strength to the strong stake of God's unchangeable nature. If you're a believer, your salvation is not dependent on you. Your eternal life is not dependent upon if you're good enough or if you hold on long enough. It is is tied to the strong stake of God's unchangeable nature that the eternal God 
gave you eternal life when you believed in the eternal Son and trusted his finished work on the cross. Eternal life is given to lost sinners by God. It it wasn't on your wish list. You weren't growing up all the time thinking, I hope, I hope that God saves me. You have to get lost before you can get found. You got to get lost before you can get saved. You got to know you're lost. And and it wasn't on our wish list to be told we were lost and, and under the wrath of God because of our sins. We were not wanting that, but God gave us what we did not want. And he gave you a desire to want what you did not want. And he gave you the ability to love what you did not love. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, made us alive together with Christ. Those are the facts. Bank tomorrow on that, believer. Bank today on that. Any day you have breath in your lungs, bank your assurance on that. Those facts. And then verse 12. The proof of life. The proof of life. Here it is. Verse 12. He who has the Son, the one who possesses the Son, the one, here's how you can put it, the one who has Jesus present in their life. Who possesses the Son? The one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God, 1 John 5, 5. That's the one who has the Son. See, having, the idea of having, you might not use these terms very often, but having the Son is the result of receiving or believing the testimony of God concerning his Son. It is very exclusive There is an exclusivity to it. Only those who believe the Father's witness to the Son and acknowledge Jesus as Lord and Savior have eternal life. This should be a sober warning to anyone who rejects Christ that as the writer of Hebrews says, how will you escape if you neglect so great a salvation? You are either alive or dead. As one person once wrote, other refuge have I none. I hang my helpless soul on thee. He who has the Son. It's, 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 it's from the parallel statement in verse 10. If you go back to verse 10, whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his son. The parallel statement is clear. Believing is the same as having. It's essentially identical to John 3.16, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. You have the life that is in the son. There's no, there's no true life outside the Son. There's no way anyone will ever be saved apart from Jesus Christ. And you are living now either in a condition of spiritual life in Christ or spiritual death in Adam. There's no middle ground. There's no plan B. You, you're not going to get some escape route that, you know, you say, well, I got a friend who works there, and they're going to let me in the side door when the, the bouncers aren't looking. The word has stands for fellowship with Christ, that you have eternal life. By faith, the believer has believed Jesus Christ is the Son of God who said, I am the life, and because of faith, then, then, then Jesus and you are inseparable. 
What a comfort to the struggling heart. What a, what a, what a joy in the midst of your pain. What a, what, a, what a wonderment to say, wow, this is true about me no matter what I go through, that God's assurance in Christ anchors me in life's storms. All by grace. He has the life. You have the life. To have the Son means you possess Him. He is present in your life. It's not transient. He's not just camping out in your life. He's not just here for three days. He's not just going to stay until you misbehave. He is in your life. It's not an on and off possession. It's not, it's not a loner. This is forever. The continual possession of life in Christ. Literally, you, you, you possess Christ. You have him continually. This is possession through confession. You have personal possession of the Father through confession of the Son. You are God's possession, and you possess life in Christ. You, you believe in the Lord Jesus and are saved. That's what it means. And it means that you fully surrender to God. A lot of people say, well, I'm dabbling in Christianity. I believe in Jesus, but I don't really want to follow the Bible. I believe in Jesus, but I don't really like Christians. I believe in Jesus, but I don't really want to be a part of the church. I don't know how to break it to you, but that, those aren't things. For a Christian, it, what it means is you've believed in the Lord Jesus and were saved. Now, that doesn't mean you dabble in Christianity. It doesn't mean you're doing it for a little while to see if it works out, that you're on a test run, you're on a 90-day trial. That's not what it means. It means you have fully surrendered your life, your soul, your heart to, to Christ as Lord, and you're trusting him to lead you and guide you and protect you and provide for you. It means you're promising something that you... But by the way, a lot of people will say, well, again, I'll, 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 I'll go with Jesus until he doesn't fit my life anymore. No, that's not what it is. That's not a thing. This verse, has, doesn't, know, this verse doesn't know anything about what you're saying. To believe in the Lord Jesus, to, to have Jesus, is that you say, I have fully surrendered to him, and I'm weak, and I'm... And I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm imperfectly reflecting his glory, but I, 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 I promise to obey his word. I promise to encourage his church. I promise to serve his purposes in his strength for his glory, but with every ounce of, of energy in my being. That's what it means to believe in Jesus. That's what it means. It's not, oh, I'm gonna get more and more committed and I'm gonna, uh, da, 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 da. No, you, you, you come to Christ and, and he takes your life and then you live your messy life and you, and you see the reality of what it's like to, to try and fail and to sin and to, to, to fall to temptation, but to know that all the way through, Christ is holding you up the entire time and you're not taking his grace lightly. You're not trampling on the son of God. You're not saying, I don't care no, you're, you're like Paul. I'm so wretched. Who's going to deliver me? What did Paul say? He said, thank you, Jesus, pretty much. The answer is Jesus. He who has a son has a life. By the way, in the New Testament, to have something is a very common way to put things in the New Testament, very frequent it means when you have something, it means you possess 
or you experience either the virtues or the desires or the emotions or the intellect or the spiritual ability that God has given, and, and it's stronger than the verbs that are used. For example, to have faith is stronger than to believe. To, to have life is stronger than the act of living. Having expresses a distinct personal realization that you are in Christ, you have him, he is part of your life, and it stands in stark contrast to the person who does not have the son, who does not have the life, who has an absence of spiritual life, who, who is under the sentence of death, who, whose life, by the way, if that's you today, you, your life might be spared many times in this world. You might be spared by car accident, from car accidents and, and health scares and all sorts of things, and, and God can deliver you from all of those things, and, and you can still be condemned and dead while you live if you don't know Christ. Spurgeon said it this way about this verse, about not having the life or having the life. He said this. He said, think of it, some of you. Think of it. These words refer to some of you. It's true about people here or people hearing right now. This, this is true about some of you. The unbeliever has no spiritual life. He will have no eternal life. He, he will exist forever, but his existence will be a protracted death. He's a walking corpse, a moving carcass. He has not the Son of God, that is, he has never trusted in Jesus to save him and never submitted himself to the guidance and governing of the king in Zion. And that's the key. When you trust Jesus to save you, and you then you're submitting yourself to the guidance and governing of the king of all. There are some who do not have the life. Jesus is the only way to eternal life. Jesus said, truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me continually has eternal life and does not, absolutely does not come into judgment, but has passed permanently out of death into life. He said, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides continually on him. In 1919, the Chicago White Sox baseball players intentionally lost to the Cincinnati Reds in the World Series in exchange for a bribe of $100,000, which I guess is like $2 million today or something. And the jury investigated the Black Sox, as they were called, because of what they did, and they were, they were indicted on nine counts of conspiracy. They were like guilty. And the pitcher, Eddie, I can't pronounce his last name, but I'm pretty sure it's Italian, so that's good. Um, he says, I don't know why I did it. I needed the money. I had a wife and kids. Mysteriously, the court records of their confessions were lost. And so the Black Sox were acquitted of all charges, except they had a permanent ban of ever playing uh, Major League Baseball again. Now, some of you are thinking to yourself, I want that kind of escape clause. <laughs> I'm, I'm fully guilty, and I, I'd like to like, get away with it. There will be no escape clause for those who do not have the Son. You have Jesus or you don't. That's the way it is. You have Jesus or you don't. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved. If you reject him, you will not be saved. You only have Jesus because he has you. You only possess Jesus because he possesses you. You could say, I possess Jesus, lowercase p, because he, capital P, possesses me. We have to be careful how we say it, right? I mean, human, humanly speaking, you chose to follow Jesus. But Jesus said in John 15, 16, and I can't get around these words, you did not choose me, but I chose you. 
How do you square that in your mind? How do you square that? Just let God renew your mind. Just keep going back to the word and know that you know, God is sovereign. I am sinful. He chose to save me. He moved in my heart such that I would be open to the truth and I believed and he drew me to myself, as the Bible says, by his grace. And he didn't demand or brutalize my will. He changed my will. He changed my will lovingly. He changed my will decisively. He gave new life to the spiritually dead so that I could respond all by grace. There are some people who treat following Christ as a a donor type of option. They'll say, you know, I'm a silver donor. I gave 500. I got a bit. It's going to take me a little ways down the road. Others say, no, I'm a gold donor. I gave 1,000. And others are like, well, I'm a platinum donor, and I gave 10,000. See, in Christ, you're not joining with different levels of buy-in membership. It will cost you everything, as Steve Lawson put it. You don't don't buy into Christ, you're bought into him. You're bought with the precious blood of a lamb unblemished. Don't be like the guy who said, I want $5 worth of, of, of God, please. Just enough to warm my heart, but not enough to make me want to uh, love a beggar or, or, or uh, forgive my neighbor. See, if you, if you possess what you profess, your life is going to point to Christ on the aggregate. You go through periods of time, but you're going to repent. You're either, you're either you know, Peter or Judas. If, if, you're, if you're sinning and you're repenting, you're, you're Peter. If you're Judas, you're like, I don't care. You will have an ambition to please God if you have the Son. It will be your aim and goal in life. It previously was, I'm going to please myself and do whatever I want. But now I want to please the one who shed his blood to save my soul. How did that happen? We do it imperfectly, but it's still a reflection of God's glory when you're changed by Christ, when you have new life in Christ, when you're transformed. What happens is you, you repent of your sins. You, you feel sorry for your sins. And, but it, it goes deeper than that. You say, you know, God is holy, and he's righteous, and, and he can forgive me. And, and I desire to obey him, and I, I realize the first outward obedience is baptism doesn't save me but an expression of my faith and I and and now you love God and you want to be directed by him and and you declare your dependence on him in prayer and and you get direction constantly from the word of God and and then you look around and you say I've got a blood-bought family in Christ I want to be with them we're going to be together forever I want to be with them I want to link up with the local church I want to I want to know and be known I want to serve and then, and then you find that though your heart still fights against it, you actually can forgive people and sometimes freely and sometimes joyfully. And, and then, lo and behold, instead of wanting to serve yourself, you want to serve God. Where'd that come from? From Jesus. You know, I want to help others know Christ and grow in him. It's not about me anymore. And, and you love your heavenly father and you love your savior and you're like, I got to tell people about him. Why wouldn't I? I need to make him known. I just gave you seven things, by the way, that are proofs of if, you're, if you have the sun or not. We'll slow it down, and I'll go over these really quickly, a little slower than I did before. But, you know, you must be born again. You must have a, a life that's been changed by the Lord. And if you have Jesus, you repent of your sins. Go back and listen to last week's sermon about that from 1 John 1. 
You can't believe in Jesus without repenting. You repent and believe. Uh, repentance towards God starts a life of fellowship with God. Repentance is a gift from God without regret. Thomas Watson once said, the proud man admires himself. He cannot deny himself. But a humble man lays his mouth in the dust, has lower thoughts of himself than others can have of him. The humble man is a self-denier. You repent. If you have Jesus, you get baptized. Now, some would object and say, oh no, there's the thief on the cross. Okay, let me put it to you this way. If, first of all, you don't have to be baptized to go to heaven, of course, but you do need to be baptized to be obedient. It's the first step of obedience. It's, a, it's an outward expression of your repentance that happened inwardly. So let me, I'll give you this. Unless you're the thief on the cross or in a situation like the thief on a cross with no way to be baptized right before you die, you best be baptized, believer. Horse trough ready after third hour today, right outside. You repent, you believe, and, and, and your first step of obedience is baptism. The person who has Jesus loves the word of God and prayer, both. You're not tossed to and fro by every wind of wave of doctrine, but you're not arrogant thinking you know it all. Obedient Christians are on the lookout for new ways to please God and open to fresh ideas for living obedience. And by the way, obedience is not accidental. It's purposeful. You look for it. And by the way, in chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verse 3, by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in him. All these tests of whether you're a Christian or not. The person who has Jesus loves other people. Like, you get to the point where you're like, I, I really actually crave fellowship with believers. I'm committed to the local church, and I don't traffic in life graffiti where I'm just spraying over everyone else, trying to be noticed, doing what gets me in trouble or annoying to others. I want to, I want to be loving to others. And the person who has Jesus forgives others. Now, some people say, I need to forgive myself. That's weird. Uh, I think most people who say that got bad advice, but also they're trying to say something good in the wrong way. Instead of, I need to forgive myself, uh, say, I accept God's full and final forgiveness in Christ. See, I forgive myself is, is a wrong way of saying I accept God's full and free forgiveness in Christ. Also, um, the person who has Jesus serves somewhere. Uh, as 1 John 3.18 says, let us not love in, in word and in tongue, but in deed and truth. You're going to serve someone in your life. You can't have conflicting alliances. Uh, you need to serve Christ. Uh, and then the person who has Jesus tells others about Jesus. There, there's this urgency in the heart of a believer to get the gospel out so that when you hear of things like what happened in, in Seoul, South Korea, 153 people died, you think, I hope they knew Christ. Some of you are like, well, evangelism is not my gift. Well, if evangelism is your gift, lots of people will come to faith in Christ when you share the gospel. But every Christian is commanded instructed to share the gospel of the grace of God in Christ. And here's what I love. In 2 in Corinthians, it says this, that God manifests through us the sweet aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere we go. To some, it's an aroma of life. To others, it's a stench of death. That doesn't mean that you show up and people just like figure out you're a Christian just by looking at you. It means that your words sharing the gospel are backed up by your life that supports what you're saying rather than you know, pulling the rug out from underneath what you're saying. And isn't it interesting? A lot of brokenhearted people want to hear the gospel. 
lot of proud-hearted people don't want to listen to the gospel. If I had to sum up everything it means to have Christ, I would say this. You have greater affections for Christ than anything else in this life. Greater affections for Christ than anything else in this life. You know, it's interesting that God has a way of making his own known and enemies of Christ make themselves known. When someone wants to enslave others to their ideas or even man-made religion, they are usually against assurance because they want to control. Cardinal uh, Robert Bellarmine lived in the 15 and 1600s. Uh, he was Pope Clement VIII's personal theologian in 16th century Roman Catholicism. Once wrote this, the greatest of all Protestant heresies is assurance. Wow. Let me just tell you, assurance of salvation is the best. It goes along with saving faith. Assurance of salvation is a great gift of God's grace, allowing us to gratefully grasp the security we have in Christ. If you have Jesus, you have eternal life, and it will show. Believe the facts, and once you've heard the truth, you're responsible to to obey it, you're responsible to live the truth you profess and how you live reveals what you really believe. And there's gotta be proof of life. Plenty of people will say they're Christians. But there are telltale signs of life. Uh, All of the things we mentioned can be faked, but not for long and not fully and not finally. I mean, how do you know a baby is alive? It cries, it consumes milk, it fills diapers, And then you do tests to reveal the health, right? Healthy people show symptoms of health. But most of all, I would tell you, most of all, the assurance you have in Christ rests in God, who has promised over and over again in the scriptures, I'm with you. I will never leave you. And one day you'll be with me. I think of a picture of assurance, and I think of holding a frightened child and you hold this child, and the child leans in and snuggles with the one they feel they can rest secure and at peace with. And I feel like that's a good example of us just leaning in to the love of God in Christ, where, where Jesus is saying, come, be with me. One day you will be with me forever. I'm not going to leave you. I'm with you now. And one day you'll be with me forever. I was invited to a um, Eagle Scout Court of Honor yesterday, Shane McFarland's Eagle Scout Court of Honor. And I received instructions from the family to uh, sit in the first four rows because we were special guests. And I'm thinking to myself, ah, that would be presumptuous of me to do that. I think they gave me that by accident. I don't think I'm really in the upper echelon there of uh, all those invited guests. And so I went and sat in the fourth row, so as far away as I could and still follow the rules, um, because I thought it's presumptuous to go up and sit up close, even though I'd been invited to sit nearer. I think sometimes we're like that with God. Like, you know, I I know all these assurances, but he didn't mean me. I know all these assurances, but I'm not good enough. I'm too bad. I'm I'm too messed up. I I think, as Thomas Watson put it, Christ went more willingly to the cross than we do to the throne of grace. Like, why do we not come boldly to the throne of grace to receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need? I think because we don't feel like we deserve it. That's exactly the person that needs to go boldly, knowing you have full sonship, full daughtership, full acceptance, all the rights and privileges to come boldly without fear, like Mephibosheth at David's table. 
Because God's assurance in Christ anchors you in the storms of life. So you could sing, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of his spirit, washed in his blood. Lord, we thank you and praise you and love you and worship you all because you first loved us. Thank you, Lord, for your great grace and your abundant mercy in Christ. Thank you for assurance of salvation that never leads us to be cavalier about our sins, but causes us to confess them and to walk in repentance and and the joy of the forgiven. I pray for all who hear these words that you would open their hearts to the truth and be transformed. We pray in Christ's name, amen. Please stand if you're able as we close worshiping together. remind you that after third hour we have baptisms outside as followed by a fellowship lunch encourage you to come either stay here the whole time or go home and change and come on back and believers if you if there are some of you that have not been baptized and you can assure us that you have a solid uh, testimony of faith in Christ I encourage you to go home get something to change into get a towel or what have you and be baptized today and just make sure you talk to me and we'll talk about your testimony first uh, but that's an open invitation And we're going to close with Jude 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Sovereign in the mountain and